Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So this is take three of a second interview with Anne Green because we have been friends a long time and there is not a scene that we are in that we are not busting up laughing which has been really interesting on stage and in music videos we've done that we can look professional for most of it and then like bust a gut afterwards of laughing. But here's what we're going to do though. What was that? That was was a dog toy. Okay. Here's what we're going to do though. We're going to turn the tables on Miss Sherry. So I'm not here for my second interview. No, no, no. I am here to interview you, my friend. All right. What do you think of that? Do it. All right. Well, as you did with me, I think it's a great place to start. How did you start in dance? What was your, what were your early dance days like? I was seven and I don't know that I'd even seen ballet or known much about it, but my mom signed me up because she had said I was very shy and also (laughs) really clumsy, (laughs) but I would mainly not make corners around furniture very well without hitting it. And so she signed me up and I think I was just curious because I just thought, oh, I'm going to get to wear pretty ballet attire and was excited about that. And I think I fell in love with it the very first day and didn't have the right attire. We, I came in, I remember my outfit, I had a striped turtleneck shirt and black leggings mm-hmm. and all the other girls had their leotard and tights. And I probably felt a little out of place, but I think I was so caught up in the beauty of it all. I thought my ballet teacher was the most beautiful person I'd ever seen and she was so elegant, loved the music. and. I was hooked right away, just loved. And I, when we say serious back in the day, it's like if you took two ballet classes a week, you were, you were very serious. It's not right. like dance now that dance three classes a day, six days a week. I did my, when I was advanced level in high school, that was two ballet classes a week. Didn't take tap, didn't take jazz. We just, the, the, what we could afford was those two ballet classes. So that was, that was my upbringing of being a serious dancer. Did you always want to be a professional dancer? Like, was that, were the, was that career in your sights? Or how, how, did you, how did you get there? How did you get to your first audition? That is so weird because I don't remember the transition. I just knew I was going to be a dancer, but I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to be in a ballet company and I didn't really know about musical theater, but I just, in my head was going to be a dancer. So mm. when the career counselors at school have their meeting with you, like your junior and senior year, like, what are you going to do? Let's help you with the path. And I'd say, I want to be a professional dancer. And they go, no, you have to pick a real job. <laughs> and I would just come back to that. But I really had no idea what it looked like. I just figured I was going to go somewhere and dance, not in Puyallup. Um, I knew I had to get out of Puyallup. But my ballet teacher had told me about Vegas. She said, you're tall, you have long legs, you're a good dancer. You should go down. Because they would go every year and go see the shows. And then their son had been in there eventually. So I think they were already kind of looking at that as an avenue for dancers. So I went down with her daughter, who was also a dancer, moved to Vegas, out of high school. I think I waited a year to save up some money and then went to Vegas to audition. And all I'd known of that was watching the show Vegas, which was in the late 70s. And it would show Dantana driving this convertible down the strip with his lion in the front seat. And there'd be these scenes with the showgirls with the pretty feathers. and like, that's what I want to do. But okay, going back a little bit, the variety show was the thing in the 70s. And so that's, that's where I think it got in my mind. I wanted to be on the Coburnette show. She had dancers. Sure, I was going to be on there. That show ended. 
I was going to be on the Sonny and Cher show because they had dancers. Pretty sure that was going to be it. Tony Orlando and Don had dancers. So that was all these variety shows. So I think that was where, how I was somehow going to get there. I don't know, but I was going to go down there and be in one of those shows because that's where dancers were. Now, had you, you said you started in ballet when you went to, had you, did you transition to jazz at all or, or was it really your ballet background and you just started hitting these auditions and, and we were exposed to different, you know, dance genres from that point? I think I'd taken like a couple jazz classes because I could take it free because I helped assist the ballet teacher. So I was allowed to take other classes and could afford it, but I didn't really have much. And I went to an audition in Seattle for chorus line because I saw it in the paper Mm. that <laughs> that was when it first was on tour prepared my song and monologue and uh, how to do a time step and I did the first call and then they said thank you and then I'm waiting waiting to do my song I'm waiting to do my time step and somebody came over and said honey were you waiting for something I'm like oh I'm waiting for my song she said did they tell you to stay no what they say I said thank you very much she goes that means go home oh no <laughs> So well, now I know. So now you know Thank you very much. You're not interested at this point. <laughs> yeah. So I think I've, I've been auditioning. So I've been exposed to different styles from basically the auditions I would find in the newspaper of like right. searching to see what was local. But yeah, I wasn't really prepared for Vegas. And I knew somebody that knew somebody that said, when you're down there, look at this person at the Lido and ask for an audition and say that you know me. And as you said in your interview too, we, that's not how that works. Right. And so I walked into the show, my friend and I went to see the show at the Lido and I had my heels on and I'm tall and I walked right past security and walked right backstage, um, walked into Siegfried and, Re Siegfried and Roy's dressing room and they oh. were standing there in their G-strings putting their makeup on and I just walk in their dressing room, <laughs> totally no clue that I'm not supposed to be back there. Asked to speak to Don Gilbranson. I don't remember anyone's name in my life, but I remember her name. And I said, I'm here for an, I want to audition. Like, this is a scene from a bad movie of someone really out of place. And they sent me to her dressing room. They're all getting ready for the show. They're like five minutes to curtain. And I'm like, I'd like to audition. Uh, so they said, set me up a regular, not a regular, a private audition. And so I did the audition and they said, you're really good. We don't think you're tall enough. You have to be five, eight. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm five, eight. I don't know. I don't think you are. And so I did the audition, got cast and they had to measure me and found out I'm five, nine. So I, I did not have the heels on. I was not prepared for a Vegas audition, but then the girl who I was supposed to replace had sprained her ankle. So she came back in the show. So I no longer had mm. a position, but they did say there's a big audition for hello, Hollywood. Hello. It's a new show in Reno. Mm. so they told me when it was but in the meantime I had been taking class in Vegas I realized after my first class I went in there and took an advanced level jazz class after having years of only ballet <laughs> uh, I think when we signed in they asked how many years of dance I'm like we've been dancing 10 years and I want to say you know like we're advanced because you know that's in your tiny studio you're advanced at 12 because there's nowhere to go <laughs> so we took this class and I have never been so out of my realm. Like it was mm -hmm. so hard. And these are all professional dancers that take it. All these people that are dancing on the strip. I don't know if you took class in Vegas, but yeah. there was the hub of, that all the professional dancers would take and just being way over my head and coming back. And I remember my friend driving, our legs were shaking so bad that the, the, the gas pedal was shaking and the car was jolting and like, I couldn't get my legs to stop shaking and was so sorry I could hardly walk. We came back the next day 
and it's a different person working the desk. And she just said, oh, are you new? I said, yeah. So how long have you been dancing? And we go, we just started yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> because we realized we had to go back and learn all this that we yeah. had never supposed to. Like the precision and the style and all that was so new to me. But I think when I found that, I'm like, this is where I am. And I'm not a ballet dancer. And it was opened up this thing of, of possibilities that were actually felt natural on my body, like the style. And I had the flexibility. I just had to learn how to control it and how to, and you see these people perform in class too. Like I've never seen that in ballet. I've never seen people really perform in class, not just save it for the stage. Right. Yeah. And so, so then I, how, did the, how did you get to NGM's audition then? What, how did you get there? I, they gave me the details and it was at, I think it was at Bal, which is now Bally's. I think it was at the MGM in Vegas. Oh, because they're, they're sister shows. And I, again, totally ill-prepared. They say, and they told us, there's like at least 300 dancers there. So there's a line at the door, like in those good dance movies that you're waiting your turn. And I'm standing there in a black leotard, black tights, black ballet shoes, my hair down, basic makeup. And the girls in front of me and behind me all have on their fishnets, their little broad tops, their hair is up, they have false lashes on they were looking fierce. And so I thought, again, like, I don't really belong in this crowd. And then people would come out from the audition and they'd be like swearing of how awful Don Arden is, how mean. Mm. And so it's getting up to be my turn. I am hearing the things he's saying. And we'll talk and he, about who he is, if you don't mind, kind of oh, yeah. talk about who he is. Yeah. Don Arden is the producer of these mega shows. And he has been known to be like the most creative as far as moving people and the huge picture of how he sees a production show he knows what he wants and he's very particular. And so he had several shows going. There was the Vegas and Reno and at the time they had Paris. He just, he was the king of this style of show and that's the show you want to be in. Again, I didn't know. Um, but I was hearing these people coming out and then seeing him say, you're fat, you're ugly, get off my stage, your mm. thighs are big, go learn to dance. So I can't get out because there's people behind me and we're in a skinny little thing. And I'm thinking, I really should go. But I got on the stage, we learned the choreography. And it, I don't think it was hard, but it wasn't that hard. I think being in class prepared me a little bit more for being around that style. And then he'd call people forward again, you're fat, you're ugly, what are wow. you doing? Those would either swear or cry or leave. And he pointed right at me and he said, you step forward. I just remember like shaking and he says, pull your hair off your face. And so I did one of those, like quickly pulled my hair up and he said, and this sounds like I'm bragging, but and when I realized the context of this story, it's, it's actually truly a miracle. He just said, you stay, the rest of you go take dance lessons. And that wow. was, from, I think it was like eight at a time that we would go on. And so I think I was the only one in that group that, that made it through. And then we had to do the meet with Miss Bluebell. That's why this isn't called Miss uh, Bluebells forever. She was the iconic woman who who set the glamour of what the dancers were needing to be because she had found her own way as a dancer, started her own troops back in the 30s. And so she has kept this up of what a bluebell dancer needs to be. So then we met with her and then I was... Uh, what was that like? What was your meeting like with her? Um, well, I'm gonna go I didn't get to meet her. Like my, my journey, and you know, I, I didn't get to meet her. I, I was a bluebell, but I, I didn't get to. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about her. Yeah, well, I'm going to put a very vulnerable story out there. I did not know that the show that I was topless. And so I auditioned and then they said, we need to see Bluebell. We had to be, have our bodies to make sure we were the right body type for this. Oh. And I'm like, how do I get out of this? And then we actually had to like 
bear our breast. And I remember like, again, how do I get out of here? I'm, I'm almost crying and I'm watching everybody be mostly comfortable with it. And then when I realized I can't do this, my parents are going to disown me. I'm a Christian. People are going to judge. I mean, I had all the thoughts. I cannot do this. And I want to do this more than anything I've ever wanted to do. Mm -hmm. One little caveat. I used to deliver flowers at the MGM Grand. That was my job when I was in Vegas. And I would take the flowers to deliver to the dancers backstage. And I would just see that beauty and see these dancers. And like, I wanted this so bad. And so this choice was like, if I do this show, I may lose a lot. Mm. But I also really want this. So I remember Bluebell being very professional, very proper. And so we were assigned a time to come up to her room and sign our contract the day after. And I went home and I had a really hard conversation with my family that didn't go well. Um, I decided I just can't do this. And so I cried all the way to her room of, the, of turning down this thing I want so badly. Went to her room and I told her that I just broke down crying in her room. And I just remember her hugging me which I don't think people think of Bluebell as that because she was so proper. Right. She just said, you need to do what you need to do for you. And she said, the show is lovely. It's not what people think of topless. It's not strippers. It's glamorous. This is a very Parisian way of showing the female body and your family will get over it. Oh, I think I was also told I would never meet a good man if I did oh. this. And she wow. said, these women are married to their a lot of the girls in the cast were married and had children. Like, this is not like you're just this young time frame and you get to do this. This is like longevity for a lot of these dancers mm -hmm. that go on to have families and still work. And mm -hmm. Yeah, so I signed it and I went home, like, just like, I don't know what to do with this now. Like, just mm -hmm. being in turmoil, but also glad to get out of Vegas <laughs> and then move to Reno. And then once I got there, what my idea of what sh the show was, because I'd already seen the... Um, Jubilee, which wasn't Jubilee at the time. Hallelujah Hollywood, I think it was. Yes. I'd already started to see those shows and like, wait, this is not what, what we would think of a topless show. And right. I saw how it was. And then I started to get excited. And I'm like, okay, this is my journey that I have to make for me. That's amazing. Good for you. I mean, that's, those are really hard decisions, you know, um, because when you do come from small towns or, or if you don't have exposure to some of these shows where it's more of the female form being celebrated versus what we think of topless dancers as being you know it, it is really hard and that was I'm sure that was very very difficult for you to come to that decision so so you've made that decision you're rehearsing now mm -hmm. how was it do because that show talk a little bit about that show because that show my show I thought was big your show was twice the size of mine like talk a little yeah. bit about the size of it, the stage, all of that good stuff, what your, your rehearsals were like, what was all that, and putting that costume on for the first time, like what was all that like for you? Yeah, just seeing that stage, because I'd seen some of the other shows in Vegas, but that, the stage is the size of a football field, and I always have to put that in, it's not a, an exaggeration, it really was the size of a football field, and to see the audience, it's just massive, it sat 3,000 people in the audience, and so a lot of nights it's full and you do two shows. So that's 6,000 people a wow. night to your show. The backstage is hard to navigate. Like, you know, the dreams that you might have of like trying to find your locker that we're still yeah. in, like trying to find your dressing room and remember where you were because there's different rows and you knew I'm, I'm in line C, row this. And so you had your row of people. So just getting to see the backstage, I just remember being overwhelmed. And the first number, we came out on airplane, like it cut back DC nine, like the width was the same of the wingspan, but it was cut shorter. Wow. But 
but just the, the, the an airplane is just in the wings and that doesn't even take up the whole stage like that's the the magnitude of how big the stage was and you guys are opening the show together right you weren't going into a show that was always already running you guys were all the original cast for this no i came in a oh you year. came in okay yeah so i was a replacement Gotcha. So I had all my audition or all my rehearsals separate with the dance captain who was wonderful. And it was just, it was fun, but it was a lot to hold on to. And you're trying to learn not just choreography, but where you're supposed to be and your patterns. And if you screw this up, it doesn't just screw up the dance. Like people could get really hurt because while you're dancing, there's a set and there's an elevator of the floor that opens up. So you have to be where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like trying to get all the stage direction, the choreography, um, and you know, you're not even dealing with a costume yet. And I remember learning the choreography, but then like the walking, there was as much time on just those like production, like down the staircase that were just as long as like the very detailed hard choreography pieces. So that was just like how to walk beautifully in heels, walking downstairs without looking at the stairs. Oh, and you can't put your arms down because you're holding up this beautiful costume you're wearing. So they put me in one number at a time. I think Heatway was my first one. Yeah, and that was like, that was a lot of choreography. And that was like, okay, you're in. And you're just like, it's a big ocean of red feathers. <laughs> you get on stage, you're just like, I go here. But I remember like getting on stage and just feeling like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then I'd have to like, where am I going next? Um, and I remember calling my mom and her asking what it was like to be topless. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I got to my place. I did my dance. It was so much fun. And then I would watch the rest of the show in the wings as I learned the next number and they put you put me in one at a time. I think there was maybe one night I went to two at a time and the person that you're replacing is swinging out. So you can mm -hmm. go into their trap just one number at a time as they're transitioning out. Um, yeah, I don't think it was maybe like two weeks of rehearsals and being totally in the show. I could be wrong on that, but I just remember it was a whirlwind. And then the initiation is when you're getting backstage is they hand you a G string that is the outer G-string with the rhinestones and all that on, but it doesn't look like that. It looks like a, I don't even know what shape that is, hourglass shape with hooks on it. And they just hand it to you and they look at you and wait to see what you do with it. <laughs> and I think I went backwards or sideways thinking it can't be that complicated. And that's, I, I laughed and felt weird by watching, but I did it. They do that to all the dancers. Like here, figure this out. And then you're allowed to go on stage. Yeah, that's a, that's a good initiation right there. Got to figure that out before you're, before it's time to go on stage. Right. Do you have any, um, other than that costume story, do you have any other costume events that happened for you uh, while in that show or any kind of, I don't know, you know, with a show that big, stuff can go sideways. Yeah, I've had other disasters in other shows, but nothing that was that like grandiose. We had these dresses that were solid Swarovski, I'm probably saying that wrong, Swarovski crystals. Wow. That held together by one little hook under your collarbone and it had like a strap like a halter kind of strap that hooked this whole heavy dress on and I just remember I had like episodes in this piece like three different times it was the same it was my one of my favorite numbers and I would have the disasters in that one but with the big fans I remember looking at my dress just dropped like straight down like it, but it made a sound because it was so heavy I mean there's other numbers are topless but somehow to be in a dress and then not be in a dress is a little bit different <laughs> so i had my fans covered and then i had to pick up this really heavy dress and try to get off and not trip on it because i can't keep going with the, the dance because i'm it's all around my ankles left the stage for that they fixed my costume the hook had just like was so heavy that it just kind of bent it and broke 
it was like a few weeks later I'm doing the fan number we had these big fall wigs that were on and I remember taking my fan in the circle looking up and my wig is hanging in the fan <laughs> and as you know we have like little nipple heads on our head that we have underneath our wigs which are not glamorous at all and I mean I could have finished the number but with the big wig hanging in that yeah that was that was just one number and then I had this the finale cape that was very heavy very beautiful and as you're walking down the stairs you can't like you can't look at the stair you have to know where you're walking and the cape was pretty long and I remember like catching my foot in my cape and going down but I couldn't put my hands down and just the melt that people said from the back it looked like the wicked west wicked witch of the west melting like you just see this monster costume just move deflate and go down and I can't I had to figure out how to get my hands out and then they said it kind of like it went re rewind like yeah, there's a, those things, like, if you if you have an accident in those, it's there's a big cost. <laughs> so you're like, this costume's really expensive, and it's heavy, and there's no way to recover beautifully uh, in any of those outfits, so. <laughs> For sure. Now, how long were you in that show? I had a one-year contract. And then what happened after that year? Did you move on to another show? What was your, what happened after? Yeah, a lot of the Bluebell dancers stayed for several contracts. A lot of the girls met people and ended up staying and like kind of making their life in Reno. I was like, what else is there? And the beauty of those shows is everybody's worked somewhere else. You know which producers are good to work for. You find out like all these locations that are a possibility. And so for me, who wanted to travel, this was like, oh, they're going to pay my way to go to work somewhere else and do what I love. So one of the girls had told me about um, a show in Puerto Rico, uh, Michael Kemp if she's listening to her and then Carlin Vandegrift we all we didn't even have to audition because kind of if you're in these bluebell shows you're kind of figured you know what you're doing so you didn't we didn't have to audition so we were offered a contract to go to Puerto Rico when our contract was over so I mm. did that for a while and then I went to Montreal for a different producer I worked on the cruise ships I never worked for one producer more than once except for Jean and Ryan yeah so then I did yeah, that was a cruise ships. And then I always wanted to work in Bermuda. And I had heard of Greg Thompson and I, I thought I wanted to do that, but I like, I just want to go to Bermuda. And so I had to wait a couple of years because my contracts and their contracts never lined up. And then I did Bermuda and then I was kind of done, but I still did a few like things that I would go back and fill in till, till they found people. Like I did Greg's show in Reno and then I did Jean Ann Ryan. I did a, a Christmas show in Florida with her. And that was kind of the end of those shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? They kind of went away. So what is your what is your fondest memory from being in the MGM show? What was your fondest memory from, from that time? Well, the backstage stuff is fun. Like you get yeah. to really get to know these people and you're in the same row. There's birthday parties backstage and it was the conversations were really fun and the friends, friendships that happened. But honestly, when I think back, it is like that feeling of being on stage and like doing the same show, two shows a night. I mean, there's times I really would be thinking about what I was going to get for groceries on the way home and you can somehow pull off a whole kick line and not miss a step and, and be somewhere else in your head. But I always would find ways to keep it interesting to, to stay present. But it is that feeling of being on stage and just feeling just it was so glamorous and beautiful and just felt like I was part of something unique that I never would have imagined like when I'm living in Puyallup that this was even a thing that this right. was a way to actually get paid and have a career doing this I I wanted to make sure I didn't get jaded I wanted to make sure I still appreciated what what I was offered so that you know you're, you're doing this the series talking about Bluebell um, you have a show that you're putting together as well so clearly this this 
resonates with you. Can you speak a little bit about, about that? Like, what is it about Bluebell and this time that makes you, that, that makes you want to do this podcast series and that, that makes you, that is pushing you to do this show? Hmm, that's a good one. I went to the reunion in Paris that was put together for Bluebell dancers that, I mean, if any were around, I don't think the oldest ones maybe were in their 70s, but Bluebells have been around since the 30s. So everyone was invited. And then even when I was trying to find the Lido and I get to that block with these women out front, they're all tall and statuesque. And I felt like, oh, I found my people. And the reunion was so great of just us getting to reconnect with people we didn't even do shows with, but I felt like we were all in the same show. Like even in Hello Hollywood, like we might've been in a three-year difference of who was in when, but just like we had this commonality. And the stories while we're waiting even to check in were like so much fun. And we just go, this is not a thing that people understand even. These stories are so different to our dancers now. And then seeing the show at the Lido, we went to the Moulin Rouge and doing it together, not just going by myself. Cause I went the two years before I went to the Moulin Rouge, which was fun, but it was really fun to do it with these other Bluebell dancers that just mm. Our understanding, it's iconic and it's, it's mainly gone of that glamour and class. And I think it's the stories, like everyone had really great stories of what they did after. Like, you know, do you want to go to Paris? Do you want to go to Monte Carlo? What show, like you can, is, you just don't have that now in the dance world. And so I think it's even the stylized part of it. Like when people, when I tell them about the show, they say, is it burlesque, is it cabaret? And it's like, this really even hard to, to describe what those shows were. Because it's kind of, it's a review, it's kind of a cabaret, it's a production number. Um, yeah, so the show that I, that you are helping me with, and you are fabulous on this, because you're the detail person, I'm the like, let's just, <laughs> here's all the choreography, um, is the, it's the romance, and the class, and it's sexy in a different way. So I just felt like, it's, there's really nothing like that now, and I wanted to bring it back, and maybe like update it a little bit, but it feels really good in my body. It feels really good in the creation, finding the music of like, oh, this is what I would love to do, but I don't, don't do this in our shows like at Westlake because it just doesn't suit what we're doing. But to have its own place, and that's why doing it at Century Ballroom, I wanted it to feel different. Like you're going out on the town, you might have a glass of champagne and dress up and see a show, which is also not really a thing anymore to go have dinner and a show in the same place and yeah, get to get all, all dolled up for it. I have to say that it's been, you know, of course our rehearsals halted with what's going on right now, but I have to say it, it, it is so, it's really quite amazing to see, this is going to sound, this is make me sound old, but that's okay. To see like today's dancers doing that style. Like I have so enjoyed rehearsals because this cast, they're, they're, they're smart dancers. They're really good dancers, but it's, and, but they're being challenged by the style and it's really fun to see you know and to witness that so you know hopefully we'll be able to sit closer together sooner than later and put the show on but um i think that i think it's gonna be amazing and i think that it's exactly what we need right now to kind of harken back to days of past but still with a, a contemporary touch to it as well right so um so i can't wait i can't wait for that to continue and progress well, for today, we're nearly out of time. Is there anything that you would like to close with about that show, about Bluebell, about this podcast? Anything that you'd like to close with in particular? Uh, 
It was interesting going to the, both reunions. I went for Hello Hollywood, Hello two years ago, and then the one in Paris for All Bluebells. And we would watch these slides and everybody would like, oh, have such fond memories. Even if people we didn't know, like it was seeing a costume that we had seen before. But when they put the picture of Bluebell up, all of us got emotional. And like, like some people never have danced with her. There's just something this um, gratitude for what she offered dancers. And even how she cared for her dancers was different than like, I've worked in lots of shows where dancers are sometimes just moving sets, you know? You're, you're not, it's just different. I felt like you were part of something really special. And I think just a, a tribute to her of how she set this up for females to be appreciated on stage and cared for and not to be sexualized, even though we might not be wearing many clothes, there was a very different um, parameter of what that looks like for safety and, and respect. Mm. And so, yeah, I think that I was surprised that, that I cried watching the slideshow mm -hmm. of seeing her come up and like, we owe a, a, a debt of gratitude to what she started. Mm, that's lovely. Well, thank you so much for uh, letting me interview you. <laughs> it's an honor. I got to be on your podcast twice now, lucky me. <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to, to hear the next, the next one that comes out. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thank you, Miss Anne. And I will be seeing you on the other side of this. Okay, <laughs> bye. Bye.